You can't see it, but I'm naked. Oh, but I can That's see That's a lie. See my mind. No, you can't because I was lying. I can see him seeing it in his mind. Let's <laughs> <laughs> not go down The way. mind's eyes, mind's eye. <laughs> Staring at Joe's third eye with your third eye there, Mike. Yeah. <laughs> Just like Chuck Xavier. Indeed. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what? <laughs> You, you you imagined Xavier being a pervert too, didn't you? <laughs> no, that's not what I'm <laughs> I was imagining Xavier reading minds to like get into people's spank banks. Well, hello, everybody. This is our, our first episode of some strange concoction of a podcast that we're trying to get off the ground. Uh, we spent some time trying to figure out what to talk about. We did a podcast about six or seven years ago about video games, uh, but now Joe hates video games, uh, and so does Jumper Cables. I don't hate them that much. Uh, yeah. Just a little burnt out. Well, anyway, so we, we sort of kicked around a lot of ideas, um, and somehow uh, Jumper Cables was watching uh, X-Men. Previously on X-Men. That's exactly. And I was, was kind of just on Skype listening to him watch X-Men, and I was just jumping in with lines, and we were having this conversation with each other, even though he was watching it, and I, I wasn't, but I had watched those episodes so many times on VHS that it's just ingrained in my fucking head. You know, we're going to start with X-Men. That's what we're going to talk about today. The old nineties cartoon, but eventually we want to expand this to sort of encompass not, I don't want to say the nineties, but I guess the nineties, I don't want to say that it's going to be a totally nostalgia based podcast, but it, it might be. We're going to try and make it a little bit more of an examination of 90s history through media. We're going to start with X-Men, and then we're going to move on to other cartoons and probably do some movies and other things. What I hope to gain out of it is and just an understanding of the zeitgeist. Because when you watch this stuff as a kid, you don't really... I just watching the first four episodes of X Men was absolutely insane. Seeing all the commentary on society and history that's that's in there. Back to my main point is that I wanna kind of just learn about periphery things that were going on. I mean, we might watch like Pinky and the Brain or or the An- Animaniacs later and Mm. Oh my god, those cartoons touched on so much shit. Like, I mean, they talked about Bill Clinton and other TV shows that were going on at the times. 
basically we're just going to try and understand the times that we grew up in is it's simple goal it's all about going back to where you came from uh yeah what is a what's that line from mgs2 you gotta you gotta understand your past to to know <laughs> where you're going <laughs> as as kojima said you gotta eat the snake oh yeah and oh, no, i was thinking of uh building the future and keeping the past are, are one and the same thing so that's yeah. It's, it's, it's not just a tribute to our childhood. It's going to be hopefully lead to some some deeper understanding. Hopefully there'll be some relevatory uh ness. We're heading know. for Nirvana. People. Okay. Uh, we're going to enlightenment and we're taking you with us. <laughs> yeah. Dragging cold dead corpses along with us behind the chariot. That said, my name is Michael these guys call me Mike. You guys can call me whatever you want. Uh, and we have Joe. Hey there. <laughs> and uh, Jumpa Cables. I'm probably going to be the more obnoxious one of the three. Oh, I don't know about that. I mean, I'm, I'm thinking about that. And uh, yeah, my voice is really annoying. But uh, it's flanked by two big, burly black voices. So hopefully it'll be okay. Yeah, that's not completely true because <laughs> people think I sound like a white guy. Because you are white. I don't Eat a dick, Joe. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think he sounds like a white guy. Yeah, anyway, so so for this first episode, we watched the first four episodes of X-Men. Um, thoughts, gentlemen? <laughs> uh, Joe, why don't you start? So... Kind of playing back to what you were saying before when you were kind of, you know, introing everything, Mike, uh, and how a lot of these old cartoons, especially X-Men in this case, did have a lot of social commentary, I guess, if you will. Like, when I was watching X-Men, uh, the first thing that popped into my mind is like, wow, this is dealing a lot with racism, but with mutants and stuff like <laughs> that. Uh, I thought it was really interesting because I had not seen it for such a long time. And going back and watching it, it's it's really heavy. With that, with that sort of stuff. I mean, what, I mean, I'm sure it's been a while since you've seen it too. Is that the same kind of feelings that you got when you were watching it again? Or like, what kind, what kind of things were you thinking about when you saw it yeah. the first time? I mean, exactly. Like, it's, it's just, it's insane how much, and that's, that kind of stuff has always been in X-Men. It's always been about when it was created in the, in the sixties, yeah. I guess. Um, yeah. It's a commentary about, you know, on racism. I was just kind of shocked how much that they got that into this show. It's fucking crazy. I mean, this show's punk as fuck. It's about like a bunch of fucking misfits fighting the government. Like literally, the first episode, they're breaking into a government facility and mm-hmm. still, or you know, burning documents and shit. They're a fucking guerrilla army. It's it's crazy. Well, I mean, even going before that, before they start, you know, breaking into the government building, it opens up with, you know, a kid who is constantly saying, I didn't, I didn't want to be this way. That's that sort of scenario. And the government's after her. And it's just, it's just crazy. It's not even subtle. I mean, they just, it's just like, yeah, this is what we're about. This is what we're doing. I just, I was like, wow, they're really doing this. Hard to be subtle with a giant robot. I know. I mean, it's 
just ridiculously subversive for a, a children's cartoon. Right. I mean, it's not even about the robots. I mean, it's just about the messaging. And oh, what they're saying. It's just. It's, oh, I know. Yeah, it's just it's kind of but, but crazy it, it, to just it, jump right into it. It kind of goes even deeper. I think I'll get into this later, but it actually kind of like touches on an issue that. I guess was really big in the uh, public consciousness, uh, let's say about a year ago, and is still probably on people's minds now with the whole Mutant Registration Act. But I'll save that for later. It's a ridiculously progressive show, and a lot of it is is due, it goes back to Stan Lee and uh, Jack Kirby. Um, Even just the interpersonal dynamics of everything is for a 90s cartoon, there's I mean, the, honestly, the first thing that I noticed was, this is kind of a testament through the, the lens of today, you know, that we view, view things back then in is, I was like, wow, this passes, like, immediately it passes the Bechdel test. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know what that is, right, Joe? I do not. Please explain. Okay, so the Bechdel test, it's, it's used to determine, sort of not determine, it's kind of loosely... Kind of gauges, uh, yeah, gauges whether like, or not the film is, um, yeah. women are kind of depicted as something besides, I guess, a thing for men. They have their own ideas, dreams, whatever the fuck. Like they're yeah. actual people. It's just, is how, like, well developed are these characters? And just like immediately, this Storm and, and Rogue are just walking and they're, they're bullshitting. And I don't, I don't want to get too much into that, but the, Another thing that struck me was the president's a woman. I was just about to say that it took this, my second viewing of these episodes to realize it. And it basically came as right after a certain thing. I think, oh, that woman president's really nice. Wait, woman president? How did I not notice that? Yeah. Kind of blanking on films and stuff now, but fucking Deep Impact had a, a black president too, but... Well, that, that was kind of a, a popular thing to do in the 90s because uh, fucking Fifth Element did the same thing and he was like yeah. a galactic <laughs> president. Yeah, Debo. <laughs> God. Yeah, it was great. I mean, media is always one step ahead of reality. Not, I shouldn't say media, but art. You know? Yeah. Just, I mean, the all the characters are... It's so well written. I kind of remember as it... When I would think back on this on the on the show before i actually just you know went back and watched it just now like i just remember it being fucking crazy and i I think as we get farther along we're gonna see a lot more batshit insanity like i know there's episodes where there's like a new character introduced every second and every single one of them bursts through a fucking wall yeah another thing that i noticed and i actually really enjoyed a lot is that unlike a lot of cartoons now or just you know, just kind of really in general, this is, they have a story to tell. So it's not just, you know, one-off with each episode, like this is the new adventure they're going on. They're actually trying to, you know, they have a consistent story where they're trying to play it completely out, which they did really well in the first four episodes. And what I thought was even more interesting was that they're, they do a really good job developing the characters and introducing each character and actually telling their story right then and there, a little bit further into the episodes when they started talking about Magneto and stuff like that, and Xavier, they immediately kind of fully introduced them, so you actually felt more attached to them. 
they did a really good job with that. And I really like that because then you felt more for each of the characters when these yeah. progressed. Yeah, it, it, it's really awesome, especially as for anyone who decides to check out the first four episodes after watching this to know that like all that you got. Just, just in regards to Xavier and Magneto and their relationship and conflicting mm-hmm. views, all that you got in those first four episodes and know alone, you can look forward to even more, more of their sure. sort of dynamic changing and altering, more information about their past. Like, there's like five seasons worth of character development for everyone in here. They do that trick where they they focus on somebody a little bit and they give maybe 20 or so seconds of backstory. But it's done so well. I mean, it does rapid fire because it's only 20 minutes, but even stuff like, um, did you notice uh, Rogue's story in, I think, the first episode? Yeah, yeah, she gives you the... Yeah. Yeah, she gives you the brief rundown. Yeah, Uh, well, I mean, she talks about kissing a boy and him ending up in a coma, and a lot of the stuff that is in here ended up being used in the Brian Singer films. Mm-hmm. I think that's, that's a very early scene. Um, like the stuff with Magneto in, it, I think it's the third episode, they don't come out and say World War II. Um, yeah, they specifically yeah. make them like a generic uh, army, but touch on all the same things. Yeah, exact same things. And I mean, they're, the shit that they're talking about is insane, just his... I mean, his family being taken away and, and his people being murdered. It's, it's Yeah, like the, I the, can't the bit in regards well. to that that really stood out to me, though, it happens in episode four is when he's talking to, he's got that confrontation with Xavier and he's saying, mm-hmm. my people talked of peace while they uh, gathered arms. My people used reason, reason while, the, you know, the enemy used violence. And so it's not even just an issue of we're superior, we have a right to this. It's we can't do it your way. They're going to kill us if we do. It's it's really powerful. And, it, and there's a reason why this specific version is so, not only is it so dear to people, especially our age, but that so many of, even just down to the costumes and the voices are reused. Oh, they're like, iconic. Yeah, like in the, in the Marvel versus Capcom should I explain what that is? Do I need to explain what that is? <laughs> <laughs> anyway, in video games, they would you know use the same costumes and hire the hire the same actors to do the voices. Which, by the way, that was another thing I noticed is the fucking voice acting is amazing, and there's the cast is really diverse. There's not a lot of sometimes you can tell when there's a you know one actor doing like two characters, but in here everybody has like a really distinct voice. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and they all nail it, and that's helped immensely by the writing just being so fucking good. Yeah, I think that's also, too, because, uh, I mean, I don't know for sure, because I wasn't actually in the room when they were writing it, but I think they were maybe purposely going for that, because they wanted they wanted each character to basically have their own voice and not seem generic. They want them to really have their own personality, which really pulled that off because they they're all so different yeah it kind of comes down to really just matching a voice not just with the character design but the archetype itself i guess the voices themselves tell a story just listen to wolverine and how there's anger it sounds like there's anger and gravel in everything he says like he's growling every word a nice way to tell to tell people who's watching it that 
this character is has a lot of anger. Has a, there's something <laughs> wrong with him, and that was kind of shown with his relationship with Sabretooth, because like okay. kind of like what they were doing with Rogue when there was a very subtle hint to her past. They did another really subtle hint to like their relationship, what was going on with them, which made you kind of wonder, okay, why is he so angry with him? Like, what, what's going on? Why is he trying to get rid of him? And, and then there was that awesome scene when um, like the music kind of picked up a bit and it changed the, the tone of the scene. And Wolverine was walking out past Xavier as they were about to be, as Xavier was sending them off to um, to fight Magneto, and he made that comment. Oh yeah, and, I mean that comment was just perfectly summed yeah. up the whole like, just we gotta, we gotta uh, fight your enemies and go easy on mine right. <laughs> yeah which as soon as that that scene was over I, in my head it was gonna be like wow i gotta know more about this character what is yeah. going on with that yeah that whole dynamic in that episode is so what is it called it's called a uh, deadly reunions where you mm-hmm. have this dynamic of Xavier and, and Magneto kind of and kind of the I don't want to say B plot, but the subplot of Wolverine and, and Sabretooth in there. Mm-hmm. Something I'm just noticing about that now is I don't think you hear Sabretooth talk until that scene where Wolverine walks into the room, I think. Walks into the room and sees him for a second time when he's actually awake. Up mm-hmm. until that point, all you done, all you'd seen is him rampage and scream. <laughs> yeah, and yeah. then and then like if you really think about it, uh, going from that to the way he starts talking to Wolverine, like he's clearly goading him, right. and I guess trying to sound like he's being pleasant. Yeah, Jumbo Cable, tell us what you really feel about Sabretooth because you're going off before we start. Oh God, that I guy. He that. in my mind. Sabretooth is the worst of any villain in the X-Men mythos <laughs> canon, whatever you want to say, bar none. In the case, like, I can't remember who said this. It was uh, it applies to, I guess, any like uh, really good depiction of a villain is every villain is the hero of their own story. And you can apply that to yeah. a, a number a number of the villains in X-Men. And I think it's why a character like Magneto is so, I guess, beloved is says he he's living that right now he really in his own mind he is probably the hero in this situation and you can sort of relate to what he's doing he is an extremist obviously but there isn't anything he's saying that doesn't make sense Care about Magneto? yeah yeah he has that that deep motivation where he goes back to his fucking childhood trauma every time charles questions him mm-hmm and 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 you really think about it cuz Charles is his friend he doesn't it's not just i guess his own ambitions or something like that he doesn't want to see that what happened to him as a child happen to Charles let alone anyone else he doesn't want any other mutant to suffer that and you can say similar things about other villains in here like apocalypse as scary as he is he's ultimately trying to evolve the species He's got this sort of like Darwinist view of uh, sort of a might makes right survival of the fittest. But he's ultimately trying to move move mutants to the point where I guess he feels he is and even further up. Now, Sabretooth is a psychotic mercenary who's legit doing all this for the hell of it. He's doing it for kicks. (laughs) This is shits and giggles for this guy. And... (laughs) 
we're dealing with like a cartoon. I mean, this is a pretty heavy cartoon, mind you, but they can't even, you'd have to get on HBO to even begin to touch the kind of shit Sabretooth has done. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I think I think they capture the spirit of him being like, really fucking sleazy. Like when he's <laughs> he's getting inside Jubilee's head, and he's yeah, like completely fucking with her, and he's just ah, it's so sleazy. And then when he grabs her, it's just it's it's kind of uncomfortable to watch. They they yeah. don't they don't take it to the the place, but you can kind of. <laughs> He like no 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 let's 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 address the elephant in the room. You feel like he might rape her. Yeah. Of course. I I I understand what you're saying and I I, I agree with it, but I Well it it I think I don't, part of it too is like uh where it's rooted because his mutation itself yeah. is rooted in a very animalistic sort of thing. And he, unlike Wolverine, who wrestles with it, Sabretooth actively gives into it and takes pleasure in it. Uh, yeah. But uh, so let's go back to the beginning of that episode, the first scenes. For me, that was I sort of remembered that, and we talked about it a little bit the other day. But basically, there's this scene where it starts off as really like abstract scene where Charles is inside of. Sabretooth's head and he sort of it's it passes pretty quickly but he's talking about Sabretooth's entire childhood basically mm -hmm. he's, you know he grew up turned into a mutant looked like a big crazy dangerous animal and that's how people treated him they locked him up and poked him with sticks and yelled at him and shit treated him like an animal yeah he was basically treated like an animal so he maliciously so let's yeah, let's, so he yeah. doesn't know any other way to to be and he's just so far gone you know it reminds me I, of like i don't know if you guys heard about the there's a famous story a few years back about this this kid who uh was basically just completely treated like shit by her her parents and like i think locked in a basement and just left to shit itself all the time and they didn't teach it how to talk or any, anything uh, her, I should say. One um, eventually, CPS or whatever. I think it was in England, so it's probably something else. They they got the kid out. And they they rescued her basically. But at that point, she was so far gone. They they couldn't even teach her language. She was just set in her ways, and it's not the same thing. But I mean, I feel like Sabretooth, Maybe there's no hope for him, but. There is, there are reasons that are actually given by the show as to why he's the way he is. True. I'll give you that. I guess the the thing, one of the things that keeps me from really, I guess, looking at it in that way to the degree that you are, is that you have Wolverine as this contrast. They have identical mutations. Their storylines are so similar they actually intersect. Yeah, I mean, as far as the cartoon goes, I'm not. This is what the cartoon says about Sabretooth. I'm not. I'm not sure. I remember what they get into with Logan because I, I know at the at the time it was the '90s and Logan was this mysterious Wolverine, mm -hmm. was this mysterious guy who was you know he's only Logan. That's his only. That's all we know. Yeah. Yeah. But, but uh, I mean, I feel like Wolverine was, you know, I think they try and get into some shit like he was actually raised by Wolverines or something. 
That was one of the. Uh, I think that was one of the, um, the the potential origins for him getting tossed for back in the day. There was a couple of really weird ones, including that he actually was a Wolverine, and the mutation made him human rather than he was a human whose mutation made him like an animal. One thing I actually kind of want to go back to is that you know in the beginning of the discussion we were talking about how the show it's discussing a lot of really critical issues and just kind of digging really deep into a lot of different types of emotions, like going, you know, with the saber tooth and how Xavier was trying to penetrate his mind. I mean, and how he kept through all these walls that they were, that were like, you know, basically locking him out. Greatest researchers. Yeah, it's so much anger. Yeah. So much sadness. Yeah, but I mean, it's stuff like that. And also, when, um, I think it was either, I can't remember if it was, it was epi- probably episode two when they were trying to get, get Jubilee out of the, like the government building or something like that. And Scott or Cyclops, uh, he, he made the decision for them to kind of basically yeah. just, just leave. Yeah. Oh, that, no, that was when the, they were destroying the mutant registry. Okay. So I think that was episode one and ep- episodes one and two, one and two. Yeah. And then, then he was asking Jean Grey. Did he make the right decision? I mean, right there, that's diving into all these other type of, you know, self-doubt and all this kind of, these other, these really deep issues that usually you don't, (laughs) you don't really see in a lot of cartoons these days at all. I I mean, of course they were doing it because it was a part of the story, but I just really thought it was very interesting that they, they're just, they're trying to focus on such a broad scope of all these different things that people were probably going through at that time when the show was out and there were probably really big topics being discussed at the time. So I don't know, I thought that was what'd you guys think about how far they kind of went with all this stuff? Well, um it was really interesting in that scene. Um not only is uh, Cyclops dealing with uh, guilt and uncertainty over what happened, but if they're they're not as direct about it, but so is Wolverine. He's actually Kind of, uh, I think the only indication that he's wrestling with guilt is, uh, as he's tearing out of the building, uh, Gene says it's not Cyclops' fault. And once he's out of earshot, she says it's not your fault either. Yeah. I mean, that, that kind of, that whole, Cyclops' whole arc over the first two episodes is kind of amazing and kind of a, a testament to why I liked him as a kid. When a lot of people were just fucking really hated him and how he was yeah. a voice, uh, but, Rewatching it, I kind of realized that this is a guy who's he's he's leading people and he's he has to make these decisions. And one thing I never noticed and always confused me as a kid is when he's talking to Xavier after they leave the war room, and he's telling me, you know, I strongly believe in in everything that we're doing and that we we're not supposed to hurt humans and we have to use our powers to to help them. And he's like, you know, but by doing this, aren't we? And then Xavier cuts him off, and he's like, "I know what you're gonna say, Scott, but we gotta, we gotta do this." And I, I never understood that until I watched it that he was questioning whether the mission was even morally right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it it gets even more interesting when you consider uh, the whole issue of uh, Beast being locked up. The fact yeah. that he insists on standing trial. throughout the whole thing and his reaction to magneto when magneto comes to try and break him out and basically tells him we gotta get we gotta let him know there's nothing to fear basically it 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 seemed to me like it was sort of the show's uh, way of 
maybe trying to impart something a bit heavier than the kids were willing to pick up, which is, you know, you can do a bad thing for the right reasons, but it doesn't absolve you of guilt for doing the bad yeah. thing. Yeah, I fucking love Beast. Going back to their writing, it's the writer for the first episode was this guy named Mark Edward Edens, who, I'm, I mean, I'm just looking at his name, I don't know his other work, but especially Beast, I thought it was just really well written and there's so many obscure random references that like kids aren't going to pick on like like jump was you pointed out the the animal farm reference the other day i didn't remember that well i didn't realize it as i was talking to you but the uh guards who are making fun yeah. of him actually comment on it yeah they, and they give him shit about oh, like, oh he's just reading the pictures <laughs> yeah you see yeah. any of your relatives in there yeah there's this those guys were dicks yeah, going back to the the trial, um, like right after the judge hammers down, and he's, all right, no bail for this motherfucker, get him out of here. Who the fuck he's, in there brought tomatoes? Be- <laughs> some yeah. some asshole was just sitting in that trial. <laughs> you got to think about it. He walked in there. I don't know how trials like that normally go on. He went out, bought the tomatoes, came in there, sat there and just waited for everyone to get riled up so he could start throwing things. Yeah. <laughs> they really just hammer into those uh, the humans as just such bigots. But at the same time, there's, there's actually a scene and uh, there's a there's a weird guy that looks like kind of... <laughs> the guy that gets thrown out, yeah. Yeah, but it, as they're pulling him away, he's I forget exact words. He says, uh, "No, he says, what about the uh, either what about the attack? Yeah, either but, either the attack on the registry or the attack of the prison." But he says, "My brother was one of them. Like yeah. his brother was one of the guards hurt." He's like, "What about those? Those were those were good men mm-hmm. hurt." And it's like, "Well, the X Men made a call. Like mm-hmm. people who got hurt. It's it, they don't. I'm not sure they come right out and say it, but it is. It's war." They're fucking. They're trying to start a revolution, kind of. Yeah. Not a revolution, but you know, they're trying to change people's ideas about mutants, and they're but they're being attacked. So it's like, how do they go about this? Well, yeah, it's it's just it's just like the situation with. I guess like the black civil rights movement to the degree that uh, one of the basis for both Charles Xavier and Magneto respectively were Martin Luther King and Malcolm X. One is saying, you know, absolute pacifism. We have to do this the right way. And another is saying we have every right to defend ourselves as violently as they attack us. Yeah. Yeah. What were you going to say, Joe? Exactly that. Well done, Mike. Thank you, Joe. Know your history. Um, yeah, going back to the, the trial, there's a little remark where uh, the guy's like, no bail. We're putting him back in the cage. And Beast is just like, well, I guess I'm going to have some time to catch up on my Dostoevsky. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, a, a bit <laughs> off the serious topic, can I comment on the fact that Sabretooth straight up bamps into that courtroom? I don't, I don't remember him... Well, I don't remember no, him being there. Was he in there? No, yeah, yeah. Right after uh, he the the gavel drops, and Beast says that line, you hear screaming, and Sabretooth is terrorizing the court. Wait, no, he does speak at one point 
in that scene and I think he he screams for them to let Beast go. But specifically and this this is the reason why it confuses the hell out of me. The first thing you see is the door open, but it's not so Sabretooth can come in. The door opens so someone else can run out, and then you cut to the immediate uh, left of the door, and Sabretooth is just standing there holding something up, and he chucks it. I mean, the animation's kind of grimy. Always, I noticed this as a kid. Well, sticking to that scene, uh, something I really liked in that scene was when when Cyclops is about to... He's like, we gotta help! Or he's like, we gotta help Sabretooth, they're gonna kill him! And we'll Good! Be- yeah, exactly. <laughs> I remember I remember that st- standing out to me as a little kid. Like, like you, your friend says something and it actually startles you. Yeah. Like, you turn and look back, like, did he just say... <laughs> that was the reaction I had hearing that. Yeah. Well, Wolverine is... Like, we talked about this the other day, but Wolverine's fucking... He's... That was mine. I remember vividly my mom passing through the the room, like when I was would watch it as a kid, and it, I didn't understand. But she would always be like, "Man, Wolverine's a jerk." <laughs> it's like he's such a hairy old man, and it's like that. he hangs out in bars and shit. Yeah, I mean, I mean, uh, this isn't the comic. They had they added after drinking. <laughs> yeah, I don't know, but it. I'm gonna talk about all the weird shit that goes on in in the show. There's all these weird things. Like, did you notice the guy in the pool hall was was doing Nicholson? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. Yeah. Right. He, he was. And I, <laughs> Cyclops comes in. He's like, "You wouldn't hit a man with glasses, would you?" The guy's like, "Why so- don't you take him off?" Take him off. Put him back on, please. The fuzzballs of you. <laughs> yeah. Um. If if we're going off on a tangent about weird shit, uh, the first thing you see in the first episode is Sabretooth tearing ass all over the place, and well, I know he's pretty big, and the mutant healing factor allows him to push his muscles. You know past the normal point so he has like a modicum of super strength but it still seems like pushing it that he's able to pick up a cop car and throw it at a helicopter yeah <laughs> a little bit I don't think they quite set rules for some of the powers I think you were mentioning yeah. about Cyclops is well also oh yeah when he makes a fence explode with magnetism to be yeah. fair I realized watching the second time it was an electric fence. Uh, yeah, he, he mentioned something later about Angstorm tries to shock him. He's like, fool, did you forget that electricity and magnetism are related? Yeah. <laughs> I do remember that and being really confused as a little kid. <laughs> yeah. Like I, I kind of thought he was making shit up. Also, Cyclops' powers, specifically in regards to the Sentinels, is the most inconsistent thing ever. Yeah. It, it seems like when the plot needs it to, all he can do is knock a sentinel over. Yeah. And again, when it needs it to, one blast caused the thing to explode. Yeah. I I know there's a, a shot where he decapitates a sentinel, too, with a blast mm-hmm. yeah, through the neck. But yeah, there's, there's a couple lines that I thought were weird, even as a kid. When he's, when he's got... First off, this is the first instance that we're going to see... Throughout the series, 
of uh, Wolverine about to kill somebody and somebody else stopping him. Because <laughs> uh, when, when they're in the danger room and Jubilee comes in and blasts him, right before that, he's on top of Gambit and he's like... With the claws up in the air. Yeah, do you remember his line? He's like, had enough Cajun? Just say... And he says uncle, but he's like... Tries oh, to... And I never knew what the fuck he was saying. Tries to affect that same accent. Well, I don't I didn't know why he said it like that. But the other one, this drives me crazy. At the end of Night of the Episode, or Night of the Sentinels, <laughs> Episode Part 2, rather, when Jubilee's with her parents. We talked about this before. Did you guys notice that? What she uh, says? Uh, which part? When... The the parents ask her if she if she'd come and visit them, and her response something mall what was that <laughs> oh yeah does does a mall babe eat chili fries yeah when I heard what does that even mean I I was like what what did she just say I don't uh, so, apparently so chili fries were really popular back in the day <laughs> well not that part the the first part the mall what was it I see when I first heard it I thought she said mall baby yeah yeah. When I, as a kid, and for probably like the last 20 years, I thought she said, does them all, baby chili fries. I like <laughs> her mom, baby chili fries. But what she's actually it's saying like is, does <laughs> a mall babe eat chili fries? Uh, that makes sense. Like, like there was some kind of in-joke we were missing. I mean, it's like a kid's version of there's the Pope shit in the woods or something. <laughs> I guess we were supposed to know that <laughs> girls in the mall eat chili fries. Mm. So that's another thing, though, I, I really enjoy about this cartoon. Uh, I mean, like all these different, you know, little in-jokes and all these different things that, they, that they're saying. As a kid, it's just like, what? Or just not understand it at all. But, you know, as an adult, you, you can go back to it. And it's like a gold mine of all these... Oh my god, I just quoted this and that and this. It's just, it's, it makes it, well, it makes it I feel like, it. well, it's kind of like anything that really revels in its time becomes an ideal time capsule film. Yeah. Or in this case, a series. If we're talking about, um, sort of small things, I don't know if you want to call it an in joke or what, but something I only noticed the second time watching is, um, when the Sentinel is attacking Jubilee, Storm conjures up lightning and says something like, unhand her, Storm, the mistress of the elements, commands it. Uh, Rogue turns to her and says um, something along the lines of, uh, lay off the dramatics. And if you're watching, you'll see Storm smile a bit. <laughs> like, 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 she, like. I don't know. I, I guess I guess you gotta go in the uh, elements of Storm's backstory. The idea of her being worshipped as a goddess, and maybe I don't know if doing all the all the dramatics helps her focus it, or if she was just in it, whatever. But it seemed like that smile indicated she was aware of her weird habit. Yeah, I didn't notice that, but I I will. That brings up a point I wanted to make: is that going, growing up as a kid, you have your favorites, but like now rewatching it, I think Storm might be. My favorite character so far. She's just so fucking badass. She's yeah. Just strong fucking black woman, you know? Just mm -hmm. like, who's a leader and has her flaws. You know, she's claustrophobic and. Oh, oh, yeah, yeah. We can, we can get back to that. I got some stuff to say about that. <laughs> I mean, I just, I, she's so, I mean, again, it's, when I think back to the 90s, I'm just like, 
I wasn't a young black girl, but like, it's like that's a that was probably a role model for somebody, you know? It's like I can't believe it was a character that was that well written on TV back then. In the children, it's a really diverse cast. That's that's something I really appreciate going back to it. And yeah. back then, I'm sure that's definitely something like you said, a, a role model for someone. Back then, that's I'm definitely sure someone probably needed someone like that. Yeah, which is probably why they needed that. I mean, all mm-hmm. the fucking characters, really. I yeah, mean, there's there's an appeal to all of them. Yeah, and mm-hmm. I feel like in any other situation, like and and no, not trying to knock the Justice League here, but if you were to do Marvel the same way they did that, then it, it'd basically be a team of X Men who all looked like Cyclops. I don't want to talk about Justice League. <laughs> I mean, if you want to compare the two, it's just X-Men. It's, it blows that shit out of the water. It's They're very yeah. different beasts. Yeah. I mean, there's just so much character in this show. Just the, the way it's drawn, there's so much personality. But what were you going to say about Storm and her uh, claustrophobia? Well, you only get to see one in these first four episodes, but I always... It even stood out to me as a little kid, the sort of intensity at which they sort of expressed her fear of, I don't know, being crushed, being enclosed, being in that, and not even just the shots of her as a little kid in the same sort of defenseless position, but uh, namely Rogue catches the the wall, tells Storm she's got to move, she can't hold it, and then you get this shot of Storm screaming and her eyes bugging out, and it was kind of a lot for a kid's show. And it only they only get more and more intense as they go on. Well, yeah, she's about to sacrifice herself too. That's something. Yeah, that, that's a whew, wow. That's that was another topic. That was very heavy. The way it's portrayed, it, it can kind of go over your head if you're not really paying attention to what's going on. You see, Cyclops and Wolverine mention it, but. I think in a normally when you'd have a moment like that, there'd be like, I don't know, like a music cue or a change in lighting, something. Everything would revolve around that. But the only thing that changes is what she does. Something about it is so well done. I feel like you can see it on her face. Well, it's it kind of it kind of yeah. spells out that they would all do this at the drop of a hat. Yeah. Like the moment that situation comes up, they're all ready to do it. Sort of like anytime you want to display someone as being kind of cold blooded, you'd have someone die and then someone else say they knew the risks. But that kind of spells out they all know the risks. It's the mark of a true revolutionary. They're all ready to die for it. They die for the cause. It's crazy. I mean, if it wasn't for Xavier to pull her back and let her know, know, basically, we still need you. Well, no, that scene is also about showing you that both Xavier and Cerebro are beasts. God, I fucking love Storm. That's my new favorite character, for sure. Well, she's she's kind of like an unsung pillar of the team, no matter, like, what era you're in. If, she's, if Storm is there, then she's yeah. going to be one of the people holding it up, especially yeah. in a dire strait. And I, I really love that scene with... It always stuck with me as a kid, but seeing it again now in the first episode where she's talking to, to Jubilee about what it means to be a mutant. Because, I mean, Storm's, there's this great dynamic where she's the mentor because she's, she's older and she has more experience with the world and she knows how she's been treated. Mm-hmm. But 
and she's talking to this kid who's just asking all these questions. This is so hard. Does it ever get better? Like, why do people hate us? It, yeah. It blows my mind that all of this has been covered in the first four episodes. <laughs> it's just... Oh, uh, <laughs> it's kind of the virtue of the X-Men as the concept. I mean, they were created in response to the civil rights movement, but you could really put them in place of any sort of downtrodden group. Yeah. And they do. And I mean, uh, we've seen gay rights become a huge thing these days and, you know, have Brian Singer, who's bisexual, comes in and, and makes the entire movies and has, he's gone on record just straight up saying, yeah, I, I made these movies, they're about gay rights. So that's, I mean, that's a, there's a timelessness to, to X-Men and these characters where there's always going to be somebody that's oppressed and downtrodden and the X-Men are probably always going to be relatable. As unfortunate as that might be. Um, yeah. It's great to relate to them, you know? I, I mentioned this already, but were there characters that you guys identified with as, as kids, and did that change rewatching it? Uh, Joe, you want to go first? So, I can't remember any particular character that I really identified with, but I do know that the one I was most attached to was Morph. I really mm. liked him a lot, because... Everyone liked Morph. Yeah. Because his character, he was he's just he was a really happy fellow, and it's just, he was yeah. always so caring and trying to help everybody as best he could. Actually, my view of him did not change. He was exactly how I remember him, which was a great feeling, because he was such a great, memorable character. Morph is great. I think Wolverine sums it up pretty pretty clear when, he, when Morph is gone. He's just like, he's the only person that can make me laugh, and we know Wolverine never fucking laughs at all. Yeah, the more you get to know Wolverine, the more you realize that that was a feat. <laughs> yeah, and I mean, Morph is just built up in two short episodes. I mean, you don't even see him that much, but I remember as a kid, everybody fucking loved Morph. I loved Morph as a kid. And can we talk about how crazy that was, that one of the main members of the team just gets iced in the first fucking episode? <laughs> yeah... But the thing I liked about it, too, well, I mean, it was, it was a horrific scene, but the scene, they never really showed you him yeah. getting killed, which I thought was very interesting. It, it, you know, it's, I don't know if it was either because they felt it would be, you know, traumatic for our younger audience or. censors. Well, yeah, it was. It, I I kind of feel like it was a twofold thing because yeah. obviously the censor issue is one, but I'm sure we've all seen things in various forms of media where actually not showing you what's going on, kind of pulling back, actually kind of makes the scene worse. Yeah, because um, I mean, all you get is like Gene and then Xavier's reactions when it initially happens. Uh, that cut is is great. Gene freaks out, and then Xavier takes the helmet and puts it on. He's like, Morph? Because she was like, oh, but it's Morph. And he, she put, he puts it on, and he's like, Morph, I don't, I don't sense anything. Yeah, yeah, you get that look of horror on his face. Kind of heartbreaking. I don't want to jump too much, but it reminded me of, and this is kind of a famous story. I don't know if you guys remember Robin's Reckoning in the Batman animated That's show. That's what I was thinking of. Yeah, so that... that is kind of classic example of censors stepping in saying, you, know, you can't show uh, Dick's dead parents on the ground. <laughs> and so what they, they did was, if, if you don't know, Dick Grayson's parents were, they died, they were 
the Flying Graysons. They were a circus act, and they what do you call it? Trapeze. Trapeze artists, yeah. So there was mob happenings going on, and they wanted the Graysons out, and so they loosened up the ropes a little bit so that they would break. And uh, one of the uh, big attractions to the Grayson Act is that they did everything without a net. Right, they did everything because they were the- that good. They're that good. So the way it's shown on the Batman animated series is you see the, the Graysons go up. You see, I think, the father catch the mother. And then there's audience gasp and then reaction. And then you just see a cut rope fall into the frame. And then reaction from Dick. And, I, and the people that worked on the show, Bruce Tim and Paul Dini, have said that you know, that's probably a little probably even more disturbing than just seeing the parents laying on the ground. But uh, I think that the moment is probably something similar happened with this Morph's death. Mm -hmm. Back to the question, Jumper Cables? Um, Well, Joe mentioning it, um, I I did like Morph as a kid, too, mainly (laughs) because that scene where he turns in the gambit, I found hilarious. Uh, something I found even more hilarious as an adult, and this is like a minor touch, but it, it it's too, I guess, noticeable and distinct for the character to have just been an afterthought, is there's a point where all the characters within the mutant registration building run through this door sort of dramatically. Wolverine pops his claws and comes charging through. Beast kind of makes this inhuman leap. Storm flies through. And then Morph... He's trying to turn the corner into the door and clips his shoulder. Yeah. 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 Random. No one's ready for it. Even when he's not trying to make you laugh, he's making you laugh. Well, I mean, just the fact that the writers put that detail in there. They're trying yeah. to they're developing his character even more, which I thought was a small little detail that they didn't have to put in. Yeah, it's it's so great because they have or to even, do it for twenty minutes, you know. Yeah, or like even that uh, bit where um, uh, Morph asks for Beast and or Wolverine for a boost over the fence, and all Wolverine does is give Beast the thumbs up, and he knows to chuck Morph as hard as he can. <laughs> but um, there was a specific moment, I guess, from my childhood that really kind of resonated with me, and I'm I, I I'll give you the short answer and say I was uh picked on a bit. So, you get to that scene where Wolverine confronts Sabretooth, uh, who's got Jubilee hostage. And, like, right before they start fighting, he says a line which, uh, basically, you always liked picking on guys smaller than you. Well, I'm smaller. Try picking on me. Yeah. And the way he delivers it, I, I might as well have been Wolverine in that moment. I, <laughs> he made me feel like a badass. <laughs> We talked about this earlier, but the, I love all the weird, like, little literary references they, they snuck in. Like, we talked about Animal Farm and Beast saying, talking about Dostoevsky, which was great mm-hmm. trial. Um, Magneto quotes Brave New World. Oh, yeah, when he, see, <laughs> when he first sees them. When he's in the, the factory and they, they all rush in. And... Um, is when he says... Uh, better to die on our feet than live on our knees. Is he quoting something then? Um, that that quote goes back so far. I want to say it's a, attributed to Emiliano Zapato, 
Mexican mm-hmm. Revolutionary. Yeah. I feel like it might go back farther than that. I mean, some people attribute it to Che, um, I think. Uh, I asked because when I first heard it, I was like little ass kid. It, it it struck sort of a chord with me, especially coming from the villain, so much so that I went and asked my mom about it. Like I, <laughs> I asked her to interpret it for me, and then asked her what she felt about it. What did she say? Basically, it was the uh, first inst- first instance I had of a villain saying something that made that wasn't. That sounded like something a hero might say, I guess. Yeah. Like, uh, she was basically telling me, basically kind of related it to, ironically enough, the civil rights, uh, movement that, you know, we should, you know, move forward, take risks of being hurt in order to, uh, you know, for the sake of justice, for the sake of bettering ourselves, for the sake of right, all of that. I mean, I think the, the whole show and everything we've talked about is, We've seen that what they're really talking about here is what does it exactly mean to be a hero? Mm-hmm. Like that age-old saying of one man's terrorist is another man's freedom fighter, uh, especially when you get Cyclops, like we talk about questioning. Mm-hmm. And uh, something similar to Magneto, where you look at, uh, some mutants who are going to show up in episode five, they would probably look at Magneto as a hero, mm-hmm. especially when you consider the kind of hate humans have shown towards mutants in these four episodes. And once again, it only gets worse. Yeah, like fucking Gyric? Jesus Christ. Oh, no, just uh, I don't know if this would count as a spoiler, but once the friends of humanity show mm-hmm. up in that show, it gets scary. That's what they're. That's what they're called. But I know. Did you see the guy in the in the? In you, the he had the symbol on his shirt. Yeah, the symbol on his shirt. Everything's kind of set up. Each episode has its has its beats, but they have a really. They're really good about overarching story. They're really it's, good about establishing a world. It's foreshadowing. Yeah. yeah. And going back to that cut with Morph, because um, they actually do show him getting shot later in the series. Uh, much later. T- it, but it kind of ties into the plot, so there's, there's a lot going on. It's amazing that they were able to pull it off. And uh, Speaking of the foreshadowing, um, I'm kind of starting to realize we haven't seen it so much in these first few episodes, but there's a lot of political movements happening. Yeah, that was actually one of the things I wanted to bring up and something that kind of came up with something I kind of speaking of foreshadowing the thing I hinted at earlier in the episode was is they actually ended up being I guess a little forward thinking where when you look at the mutant registration act you look at that scene of Cyclops saying you know are we really doing a good thing by busting in here taking this information and destroying it uh me and Mike in a conversation drew a parallel between it and the NSA monitoring and Snowden kind of pulling the curtain on that. And I guess the conclusion I kind of came to is there isn't necessarily a clear-cut right and wrong here. It's ultimately which is the lesser evil to you. Yeah. I mean, that that's freaky, right? That this was how many years ago? It was over 20 years ago, I think. Mm-hmm. Somewhere around there. And they're they're talking about issues like about monitoring, and we were having this conversation about it's debatable whether you think it's right or wrong to 
protect a group of people, but when the, the real problem is when somebody gets a hold of that information and uses it for wrong. I think we were having that conversation a few days before we watched X-Men. And yeah. Yeah, they're touching on that. But, uh, yeah, I mean, I thought this was... This was insane. <laughs> so the the uh, the president goes on TV, or not the president, but Senator Kelly, who oh yeah, <laughs> means so well, but he goes on fucking TV and he's talking. They're talking about the mutant problem, and and they're like, oh well, what did you suggest? And he he's just got this smile on his face, just like he just thought of the best idea ever like he's a little kid coming to his parents and he's just well i'm gonna run for president and i'm gonna put all the mutants in an internment camp and and you notice that he at least twice refers to him as unfortunate like these unfortunate mistakes of nature or something like that <laughs> like both he sees them as kind of an abomination but at the same time there's this element of pity yeah and that's that's odd because I mean, not odd, but I mean, this man's gonna run for president. I think he might actually become president in the series. I don't but remember. He might have. I know Days of Future Past has something to do with that when they when they get to that. But that's actually first off, they don't mince words. And he straight up says internment camp on a children's show. It's like flat out, yeah. I mean, that view that you just described was how some of our forefathers actually viewed that's how they that's how slavery, slavery was kind of that's how slavery got put over on a lot of people because i'm not sure how hard or easy it might be to believe but not everyone was immediately down with that sort of thing to the degree that you not only have to brainwash these people you're going to enslave you now have to brainwash your own people into believing that this is an okay thing yeah you, you look at them, you say, okay, see, they look like people, they can act like people, they can even talk like people, but they're not really people. Like, if we let them out, it's sort of like that dog you got right there. See, he's happy to serve you, but if you let him out in the woods, he's going to go crazy and devolve into his baser instincts. Yeah. That's the, that's the kind of shit they pulled on him. Insane that we're picking up on this from the 90s cartoon show for children. <laughs> <laughs> well, they didn't baby us. Because no, it's not. We're, we're, I, I think we're, as the, as this podcast goes on, we're gonna be <laughs> we're gonna uh, mention some other shows, and there, there's some equally heavy stuff going on in other cartoons airing around the same time. Joe, thoughts? There's so much stuff going on the show. Just listening <laughs> to you guys, this is my god. If I was able to comprehend everything that was happening in those first four episodes. I'm still shocked. First four episodes. Yeah. As a mm. child, I would be a very different child. It would just be, I would have a tinfoil <laughs> hat on. It would just, it would not be good. Because, I mean, what they did, they managed to do, I mean, even though there's a lot of political, there's a lot, there's a lot of, you know, slavery, there's all these really heavy topics going on. But it's just, it's like they just were able to not really hide it, but just kind of, I mean, they, they made it they made it obvious, but it wasn't like just I don't know. It's they. I guess they weren't like um, up front with some of the more uh, drastic and dire elements, but they put up they put it all forth there in a way that was, I guess, sort of digestible to kids without really kind of injecting 
the heavier elements. It, it, it's clear that we, you know, we watched it, we saw this, we committed it to memory, but there was a lot we missed just by virtue of not maybe having the capacity to truly understand some of the heavier stuff going on in there. And I, and I think the writers, when they were doing this, um, they probably knew that they knew that, yeah, all right, this is going to be shown to kids. So, I mean, we can really kind of go crazy with it, but they're not probably about like 90% of them are not truly going to know what's happening here until they watch it a decade later. And I think the, the, the idea is always, how do we do both? How do we appease the censors and still get all these, this interesting uh, material that we have here from the comic books in? Right. Yeah. It's like you try and get the two to run parallel. Yeah. And they did that quite well. (laughs) Um, the Batman animated series, like they they were fucking masters of that. Uh, I can't wait till we get to Batman. I rewatched all of those uh, within the last few months, and there's some shit in it. That's amazing. It's it's a I'd say X Men's more X Men has heart, but it's it's a little more political. Batman's there's a lot of heart in that show. Mm-hmm. There's some really there's some real tearjerkers in there. But, oh God, yes. Yeah. And going back to X Men, and we were sort of talking about is, yeah, there was a lot of shit that was crammed in that just went straight over our heads that we can appreciate now. But they're they're still very basic. I don't want to even say like morality in it, but it's just through the characters being so, you know, even though they're mutants, they're they're human. Like you talk about Cyclops is doubt that great scene with him and Gene. I think it's the end of. A deadly reunions the fourth episode where xavier is basically uh, i think he's consoling wolverine or the either way they, they both feel he's like talking the storm yeah i think wolverine's there though isn't he he's unconscious though i think he's unconscious and xavier is like apologizing to him for yeah. allowing himself to be deceived and wolverine yeah. getting hurt in the process he i mean he recognizes he kind of admits to what wolverine called him out on earlier in the episode that, you know, I was kind of blinded by going after my enemy that I didn't really listen to what Wolverine was saying and people got hurt because of it. And he's saying, you know, I failed. And Storm is comes up to him and she doesn't say, no, you didn't fail, but she says, no, we failed. Again, I don't want to... I'm talking about other shows. Um, that's something that Superman did really well in the 90s too was having episodes where the characters they don't win (laughs) yeah but they learn something the message of that episode was it's okay to fail as long as you you learn something from it and more important also that you're able to move on from it you don't let it just basically you don't let it end you yeah i mean because there were, there were some episodes that ended in such dire states that it wasn't even, what did you learn? It was, you survived. Yeah. <laughs> even that, that's, it's a warm moment where she comforts him and says, you know, it was, we're in this together is basically what the message is, is even though you feel like shit, just gotta pick ourselves up and move on as a, as a team. And yeah, that's, that's the end of episode four. Um, is there anything else you guys wanted to, kind of had a big question for you guys in regards to this because looking at this one of the things that stood out to me 
And unless they're act like this was committed by the X-Men, but namely Magneto, when you really look at what he's doing, and I know this word, the, the, the weight of this word is changed considerably from that time till now, but ultimately Magneto's a terrorist. Yeah. And that's damn near a bad word nowadays. Oh. I guess I guess what I'm getting at here is, do you guys think a, a show with that kind of content, a kid's show with that kind of content, could run today, or really at run in, at any point post 9-11? That's a good point, Joe. What do you think? That's a very good question. Um, I, because we actually honestly haven't seen any cartoons that are really like like this at all i don't think the censors would allow it at this point especially after the post 9-11 thing we're just when it comes to terrorists i mean it's just we just don't want to deal with any of that kind of stuff right now or pretty much it seems like ever again i don't think no i don't think they would allow it i think it's it would be considered to be just too far yeah i mean you bring up a really good point, which is that this was a pre-9-11 piece of art. <laughs> um, <laughs> this was before the world fucking changed. Like, the day 9-11 happened, shit changed everywhere. Um, as far as the actual question, I mean, in it, I don't think that it could not be produced, but in a kid's show... Um, I don't know. I mean, there's all sorts of factors that go into it. Who's paying for it? What network is it going to be on? What's the audience? But if the audience was kids, I think they'd... I think people would... And part of it was just the, the spirit of the times, you know, where they could just hammer so much into shows like this. I don't want to say that it couldn't be on the air, but I feel like people making the shows wouldn't do something like this in a kid's show. I mean, Spongebob gets like, pretty subversive sometimes, but they don't talk about terrorism, I don't think. They probably do, but, uh... Well, no. see, they, they do. They do, I mean, it's, okay, so, it's kind of weird to say that there's terrorism in Spongebob. I mean, but, I mean, they what they do is that they cover these type of topics, but in a really really lighthearted and comedic way so that you barely even notice that it's there at all i mean it's not like it's not as nearly as heavy as something like x-men i mean they're doing it more in a jokingly way but that's the only way i really feel that they can have something like that in a cartoon out these days because going back to what i was saying i you don't see cartoons out now that are focused around a story or a particular really intense theme it's really all about just, is it going to make you laugh? And that's pretty much it. You, you hit on kind of an interesting point, Joe, because something I've noticed with, I guess, cartoons that are, uh, I guess, no, noteworthy, notably popular right now, at least with, the, I guess, the kind of age group that would have been watching X-Men at the time is, I mean, I'm thinking about shows like, uh, like Adventure Time, regular show, uh, Maybe that weird My Little Pony thing. Um, but as, as far as like an ongoing storyline, as close as you get to that is they have like history that the story, that the stories will establish and then remember. But there's rarely, if ever, like an ongoing plot. And 
rarely do you find a cartoon that has as serious a subject matter as X-Men or even Spider-Man or trying to think of like a, a, a lighter show that came out around that time. But, but you know, you, you know, it's like a lot of the cartoons you watched back then were kind of like combat focused oriented, whatever. Whereas now it's all comedy. Well, I think it's really interesting that you bring up Adventure Time because uh, it does do what you say about, you know, a lot of what's going on is built, it's built into a really rich and actually very complex story that, uh, that, um, that they've developed for Adventure Time. And there's actually a lot of really deep and personal, somewhat depressing stuff happening in oh, Adventure oh, Time. Oh, th- there, there is, but I think the difference here is that, um, you're not really made to confront all that directly. Like it's, it, it's all, okay, here's a uh, ice King's backstory. This, this, this indicates that there may have been like a nuclear war or something yeah. like that, but no one ever comes out to the kids and say, Hey, you know what? You, you know why there's no humans here? It's because somebody set up a nuke. No, I mean, that's, where is, yeah, but that goes it, back, it, that goes back to what I was saying about there. They do cover these really intense topics, but they just, they just like water it way down to make it, to make sure that it's really humorous and funny. One thing I noticed, and it kind of personally really bothers me because I'm actually really interested in the story of Adventure Time, is that every time they start getting even somewhat intense or try and actually start digging deep into the, the actual story that's going on there, they immediately cut the episode off or they end it with a really random super random situation that makes zero sense. So they purposely cut you off guard to stop you from thinking about what you just saw. And then, oh yeah, and then, like uh, uh, the the one with the crazy psychic animals locked in an inter- like an eternal death struggle. Yeah, and It the, ends with Finn saying happy birthday. Right, right. You see, so it's just, I mean, that's the way that I think that the writers there are able to tell a really rich, interesting story. But they they hide it in a they they try and basically hide it because it, it, it's ultimately always in the background. I guess is what I'm getting at. No, you're right, and you're totally that's right. that's the big difference between what's going on now and what went on back then. Yeah, yeah. Like another I mean, inter- another interesting thing, like bu- Bubblegum Princess and um, uh, Marceline. This is something they don't. Uh, they've actually um, at a comic con they actually announced that it was that they are that they were actually in a relationship. But that is a, <laughs> that's a topic that they will not. I mean, if you really think about it and pay very, very close attention to everything, you can see that they were at one point dating to get, and they were a couple together. And that's good topic. luck getting that. Yeah, I mean, and <laughs> on he, TV. Yeah, even well, it is on TV. They just they hide it. No, 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 no. Good, good luck addressing that. Oh like, no, they won't do that. Show them holding hands, and people will lose their shit. I mean, yeah. So I mean, stuff like that. I mean, there's a there's a lot going on in Adventure Time, but the writers, like you said, <laughs> they hide it all way in the background. So unlike X Men and like Batman and all, those, all the other cartoons, you know, in the past, they're very upfront about it, which you know, so. It's very interesting how different cartoons have become compared to the ones uh, back then. So, so you think you guys think that that's? I've never seen Adventure Time, but, but I mean, I've seen. I've I've never really sat down and watched it. But do you think that type of thing is the barrier between X Men and shit like Adventure Time is nine eleven? Uh, I don't think it's so much nine eleven. I think nine eleven is a part of it, but I think it's more so about just trying 
to wanting to protect protect people more probably they just want to let well there's there's something to be said for i guess the cuz the, there's a couple of generations of television between X-Men and Adventure Time i mean there's something to be said for the fact that the next time they tried to do X-Men it was sort of like a spin on it where it takes place in a high school. And yeah, was, I think was, that one would have been post-9-11, wouldn't it? It might have been. I think it probably was. I, I just remember I wasn't I wasn't feeling it. I didn't really watch it much, so I can't really speak to what was going it, on. It, hit, it hits off the same notes really well by virtue of teen angst. Like, I think the thing that a lot of people thought would make it worse actually does make it better. Yeah, I mean, I can see that. I mean, when it came out, I was a kid, so I was just pissed that Cal Dodd was gone. Yeah. The voice of Wolverine, and it's amazing. He's uh, No hate on Steve Bloom. He's a huge part of my childhood, but Cal Dodd is Wolverine. Well, he was kind of trying to replicate Cal Dodd's uh, performance, at least in uh, Evolution. He kind of uh, moves closer to his own. No, it wasn't him in Evolution. He was him in Wolverine and the X Men. Mm. I think it was a different guy in Evolution, but I think in both cases, actually, they're pulling from Cal Dodd's take. So yeah, uh, that was the first four episodes of X Men. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that was a thing we'll figure out a name for this and try and get it out but uh you guys got any closing thoughts in less than five sentences joe uh, uh next all right, all right. <laughs> jeez damn this shit was heavy son okay uh all right until next time, uh, I'm Mike for Jumpa Cables and Joe saying, does a mall baby eat chili fries? Yeah, I mean, like, I definitely, I, without question, I want to come back to X Men because there's, there's a whole lot more, a whole lot more from the well 
sort of pull up. I mean, I, I could go on about Apocalypse for God knows how long, uh, Cable, The Sentinels. Mike was saying <laughs> I had a boner for The Sentinels when I was a little kid. <laughs> you had a Woody Master Mold. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Master Mold was my shit. 